Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Success Leaves Clues podcast, where we dive into the world of what makes people successful, what clues they leave behind, and the stories that shape their lives. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my very amazing co-host, Al McDonald. Al, how is your week going? Busy as always, Robin, but special treat today, and really looking forward to um, having a good conversation with our guest today. For sure. Well, as Al said, today we have a truly special guest joining us. He's a Canadian broadcasting legend, a music historian, and a true connoisseur of all things audio. Ladies and gentlemen, we're thrilled to be joined by the one and only Alan Cross. Hi, Alan. Hi. I'm sorry if you hear some things in the background. That's my poor wife dealing with a 15-year-old puppy who is in her very, very bitey phase right now. You said 15-year, but I think you mean 15 weeks. Sorry, 15-week-old <laughs> puppy. Yeah, it's the poor woman. I think the dog is going to end up in her crate for a little bit. Well, the podcast, we've had babies appear. We've had kids. We've had dogs. I think we've had even had a cat run through, so no problem. <laughs> okay. I'm going to continue on, and I know most of the people listening, because they're about my age, are going to know exactly who you are. But for those of you who maybe haven't heard of Alan yet, he has been a prominent voice in the Canadian broadcasting scene for decades, sharing his knowledge for music and extensive knowledge with listeners around the world. He's not only a renowned radio host, but also an author, blogger, and podcaster. With his unique insights into the music industry and a seemingly endless well of fascinating stories, Alan has become a trusted source for music enthusiasts and industry insiders alike. In today's episode, we'll be delving into Alan's journey through the world of broadcasting, his experiences with iconic musicians, and the ever-evolving landscape of the music industry. We'll also get a glimpse into his personal favorites, the unforgettable moments, and perhaps a sneak peek into what's next for him. So whether you're a music aficionado or just someone who enjoys a great story, you are in for a treat. Get ready to be entertained, educated, inspired by the incomparable Alan Cross. Alan, welcome again. Thanks for doing this. And I thought before we get started, do you mind if I tell a little bit of a quick story for our No, you go right ahead. Okay. So a few months back, Alan and I were invited to this industry event where we got to meet you. And we walked into the room. It was great to put a face to a name, of course. But when I heard your voice, and I've told you this since we met, it transported me immediately back to my youth. It was a surreal moment for me because that voice was with me. When I fell in love for her the first time, that voice was with me when the same girl broke my heart a few years later. And thankfully, that voice is still with us here today. So this is a very special moment. So thank you very much for being here. I've been doing this as of the 13th of November. I will have been doing this professionally for 42 years. So yeah, I've been around a lot. And I think a few people have heard me at one time or another. Well, I'm sure I'm not the first who have approached you and said, hey, you know, that voice brings me back to this, you know, this great time in my life. What's your reaction when you hear people talking about you or in this case, your voice and the impact that you've had on their lives? Well, radio is really weird because you basically sit in a room talking to yourself and you have no idea who you're talking to. And you have no idea if anybody is reacting 
in any way to what you're saying. So the only time that you get any sort of constructive feedback are when ratings come out, you know, some sort of measurement metrics on, on whatever it is that you're putting out in the universe, or when you meet people face-to-face. And radio is not necessarily a face-to-face sort of medium on a regular basis. So it's even after all this time, it's, it's always a bit of a surprise because, again, I don't see you when I'm doing most of my work. It's only later, in some cases much later, that I realize that I've had any kind of an impact, good, bad, or otherwise. I chatted with a lot of people because this was bragging rights on our podcast. I said, oh, I'm interviewing Alan Cross. Wait till you hear. And I heard a lot of the same thing that I'd experienced. You know, there are these certain songs and certain people and certain voices that have been with you. So for me, I mean, this was very nice to get to meet you and, and hear some of those stories. And that's why we asked you to be on the podcast to share some of those. And I know Al has some questions to ask you as well. Oh, of course I do. But let me first say, Alan, I can relate to your dog issue. And maybe before we jump off today, I'll bring mine own over. We've got a fairly new puppy as well. He's about a year and a half old and very much going through the same type of thing that you are going through right now with your 15 weeks old. So he's a handful. So maybe before we jump off, I'll I'll introduce him to you. We'll see what the therapist does with her later today. Yeah, we had to go down much the same path. And I guess the bad news is it didn't really work. So... (laughs) (laughs) Robin had mentioned the time that we met you before, and you shared a story, which I thought would be great if you could share again for our listeners, because the title of this podcast is is Success Leaves Clues. And the one thing that you shared, I think, is something that a lot of people could relate to, just in terms of how you were able to, in a certain situation, a certain tough situation, build some instant rapport and some trust, and then progress to what you wanted to do with someone you were interviewing. So you told the story about interviewing Morrissey and what a tough interview he usually was, but how you were able to successfully maneuver that obstacle course and then have a great interview with him. Do you mind sharing that with our listeners? Sure. Over the years, I developed an interview technique that helps me get the story because whenever I am interviewing someone, I am there as a proxy for every person who is a fan or is at least interested in that person's career and life. So there is no shortcut to getting to where you need to be with that subject. First of all, you have to prove that you're acting properly. So propriety, you know, you're dressed properly, you aren't overly, you're careful with your body language, you just show people that you're a professional. So the idea of acting properly. Then you have to show your competency. In other words, you have to show the person that you are interviewing that you know what you're doing that you're not there as some rube that hasn't done their research or doesn't really care about what the interview subject is all about. Once you do that, those first two steps, you end up getting the artist to relax and they let their guard down. They go, okay, this person isn't going to crucify me. We can maybe have a good talk. And the more you get that person to relax, the more they will trust you. And when an interview subject trusts you, they'll tell you anything. But again, this is nothing. This is straight Dale Carnegie type psychology. It's how to you know win friends and influence people. There's nothing underhanded about it. There's nothing weird about it. There's nothing malevolent about it. You have to go through these steps if you are going to make a connection with somebody with whom you need to make a connection. So in the case of Morrissey, he is a, a very difficult interview. He's known for toying with journalists. He's known for telling stories. He's known for changing his stories. He's known for feigning ignorance about a bunch of things. So it was really important that I get him on board 
largely because the radio station had been playing his music since 1983, and we had never had in the, what was this, the 20 years that we'd been playing his music, we'd never had a face-to-face interview with him. So he walked in, and I put my cell phone on the coffee table, and I said, if this phone rings, it's going to be my wife. And the reason she'll be calling is because we don't have any kids, and our dog seems to be very ill, and she is going to the vet today. And when my wife comes home, she promised to call me and tell me, you know, what's going on with the dog. Do you mind? No, absolutely not, he says. Animals are our friends. We have to look after them. If the phone rings, I insist you pick it up and talk to her. And after you finish talking to her, let me have a word with her. Give her some words of encouragement or support, whatever is required. Oh, well, great. I really appreciate that. Hey, by the way, do you still have an interest in that elephant sanctuary in Thailand? Yes, I do. Well, what's it all about? Well, we give elephants a place for them to be elephants after being exploited by tourists and by logging camps. Oh, really? Where is it? It's up near Chiang Mai. Well, you know what? My wife and I are going to Thailand later this year. We'll have to check it out. Absolutely. Now, I should back up here a little bit and tell you that the publicist who had arranged all this made it very, very clear that we could only talk about a certain set of things. He had an album at the time called You Are the Quarry. We could only talk about the album. And we're doing this, by the way, at the Beverly Hills Hotel in Los Angeles. And I was also told that if I strayed away from the parameters of the interview, that the interview would be shut down immediately and they would walk out. So it was only about Morrissey, only about this album, and absolutely no talking about the Smiths. Gotcha. So we talk about the album for a little while, and as we get towards the end of it, I think, well, you know, I'm here as the proxy. I'm here as somebody who has to get the story. I'm going to make a judgment here and take a risk. So I said, well, thank you for your time. We've been playing your music since 1983. This is the first time we've had an opportunity to sit down face-to-face. It would be remiss of me if I didn't ask a few questions about the Smiths. Well, the publicist who had been standing behind the couch where Morrissey was sitting was ready to leap over and strangle me. But Morrissey just like, nope, hold on. What would you like to know? And we had 10 minutes talking about the Smiths, which was a great victory. The interview was over. He signs my copy of Spin Magazine. He was on the cover at the time and leaves. And Mike, who is there as my sound guy, says, okay, well, that's over. Are you going to call your wife? I go, why? Well, uh, your dog. Uh, dog's fine. Oh, okay. And you're not going to Thailand either, are you? Nope. So again, a bit of subterfuge there, but you have to fight fire with fire sometimes if you want to get the story. And nobody was hurt. The dog was fine. I ended up going to Thailand and the elephant camp, but you just sometimes have to do what you got to do to get the story. So I'm I'm glad you shared that. And when you first told the story, again, I wanted to dive into that again today because I think you got a lot of lessons there, right? A lot of lessons for people just in terms of how to build some trust, how to build some rapport and make people feel comfortable. And many of the people that are going to be listening to us, that's the world we live in, right? Now, that was an extreme case, the most extreme case that I've ever experienced. But again, with every single interview that I have ever done, whether it be in person on the phone or through something like Zoom, you have to go through those four steps, the propriety, the competency, the getting them to relax, and the achievement of trust. There's no shortcut. And if you follow those four steps, you will always, always get what you need. Now, that doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to get to relaxation 
and comfort and trust. Some artists just won't go there, but you have to make the attempt every single time. I was going to ask you, Alan, was there anyone where you went through those steps and you just couldn't break them down? There have been a few, but it, none of them were of any, any consequence. You just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, okay, that didn't work. I got something out of it. I've learned something from this encounter. Maybe next time. You've had this long career and I was thinking about, you know, my own career because we're growing the company and I'm hiring people and I'm looking at them and thinking, wow, I was, I was there once, you know, in my mid twenties starting the business. And it brings me back to a time and we've grown the company, me, Al and Joe, our partners, and I'm, I'm really proud of what we built. But I remember back thinking there were times when people were looking at me and I think my partners included, because I run a certain division of the company that they thought, well, he knows what he's doing. And there was times when I just doubted myself. And thankfully, I kept going because I think where we are now is, is very good and that continues to look good. But was there ever a time on your journey where you doubted you know, what you were doing? And that includes doubting yourself along the way. Oh, all, all the time. I, I don't think that you can go through a career without having those low moments where you're wondering, is this what I was meant to do? Is this what I'm going to continue to do? Can I still do it? And does anybody want me to do it all the time? And the only thing that has kept me sane in those situations is, look, everybody's got a best before date on their forehead. Your job is to push that best before date as far back as you possibly can. And that's by, you know, making lemonade wherever you can, bobbing and weaving, adjusting, pivoting, and never, ever, ever resting on your laurels, never coasting. Because if you do, that is a recipe for disaster. You get old, you get fat, you get lazy. And if you can avoid doing that, do it. There are going to be things that are completely out of your control. Maybe you're working for a company that becomes insolvent. Maybe there's some restructuring that you have nothing to do with. Maybe you have some health problems. Maybe you have some relationship problems. All these things are part of life. And like uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard says, you can do everything right and still lose. That's not weakness. That's life. So you just have to forever and ever and ever realize that what you've got today is not guaranteed tomorrow. And you've got to keep moving forward. And more often than not, there will be a couple of periods of painful reinvention. Nothing you can do about that because that's just life. Solid advice there and stuff that I've lived through as well. And I know Al has as well. And sometimes you just, you know, I'm thinking about these young entrepreneurs because we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and founders. And I would just say, keep going and pivot when you need to. And I echo your sentiments because there were times where you don't know what is around the corner, but you keep going. And sometimes it's this belief. You don't even know where it comes from, but you just keep going. And eventually you're looking back thinking, yeah, that, that worked out all right. And you're right. We never stopped doing that, right? We're still doing that. Life is all about zigging and zagging. It is not a straight path. It is not a linear process. I did some work about a dozen years ago on a theater production with William Shatner. And this is a guy whose career goes all the way back to the 1950s. I think he was, oh, earlier than that. When he was six, he was on the CBC uh, in Montreal. And he's had a career with a lot of ups and downs and a personal life with a lot of ups and downs. And during the time I was working with him, he taught me the importance of saying yes to every opportunity and not getting discouraged when, you know, 95 times out of 100, those opportunities come to naught. But the five opportunities of those 100, one of them may change your life forever. So don't be afraid 
and always be prepared to adapt and move on. You know, if we go back with me 30 years ago, I was very happy doing afternoon radio in Toronto, playing records and talking about music and coming into work at 11 in the morning and being home at seven o'clock each night. But then there was a management takeover and a new ownership, and they decided to blow up the radio station. And one of the things that they needed somebody to do was this one-hour documentary that they had called The Ongoing History of New Music. And they told me that I was doing it. They didn't ask. They told me. And I said, I don't want to do it. And they said, well, that's fine. Here's a manila envelope with a settlement in it, and we wish you well in your future endeavors. Now, up until that point, I had absolutely zero portable skills other than for doing radio. I had just gotten married. I just got my first house, and I had no choice but to somehow adapt to these new conditions that I didn't really like. I didn't want anything to do with this particular project, but... What are you going to do? You got to change with the times. And it turns out that that assignment that I hated was the best thing that ever happened because I certainly wouldn't be here sitting and talking to you. I wouldn't even be in the business. I would have gotten too old, too expensive, too, too something, and I'd be doing something else right now. But because I was able to adapt, and again, there was no master plan here. This was just seat of the pants stuff and discipline, focus, and preparation moving forward that it worked out. And I'm not saying that I did anything superhuman. I was also extraordinarily lucky because music and radio and uh, music consumers and, and demographics and economics were all on my side at that time, which you, you can't control, you couldn't predict, but it all came together quite nicely. And yay, here we are. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And I can think back, but I'm sure everyone can too, you know, be one or two things in life that happened completely by fate that you can look back and say, that was a turning point. That was a fork in the road. And like you say, you probably didn't really have a whole lot of control over it, but it probably changed your life. Well, here's the thing. We, you know, everybody, every once in a while, you are going to encounter dumb luck. Dumb luck is the intersection of opportunity and hard work. But the problem is that there's never a marker that this is a dumb luck pivot point. You have to recognize it for what it is. And then you have to have the courage to say yes or no to that dumb luck. So true. Now, I'm going to be honest about something that you said a little bit earlier. You know, there are days when I look forward to being old, fat, and lazy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask you another question, though. What does success look like to you? That's interesting. For me, and this is going to sound awfully trite, but I don't measure it in terms of financial gain, although that is a marker. It would be, am I happy and satisfied with what I do and what I contribute? And that not only means my career, but my personal life. Am I okay with who I am? And if I am, then that's successful. Couldn't agree with you more. And that's a question that we sometimes ask our clients to get a, a feeling from them because we ask it to our clients. I've thought about it myself. And yeah, happiness and how you deal with people and how you treat people, that's at the top of my list too. So I'm glad you shared that. And here's the thing. You are not your job, especially if you're working for somebody else. If you're an individual entrepreneur, if you own your own business, well, that's a different story. But if you are working for somebody else and you know they talk about, oh, we're family here, big red flag. <laughs> A corporation, a company is a business. It's just business. If you put too much of your identity into what you do, then when the inevitable time comes and someone takes that job away from you, they take a piece of your soul with them. Now, that being said, 
it's also important to realize that the most successful people at anything put much of themselves into what they do. So there is a balance. You are not your job. You are you. Your job is part of what you do. Beware of putting too much of your self, your soul into work, because if it's taken away from you, you'll be lost. That's interesting that you say that because I had a conversation today around just that. And that attitude has really changed over the years because certainly when my dad or that generation was growing up, it was very much the norm to graduate from whatever, get your first job at a company and work there your whole life. Yeah. And that was your identity. You yeah. you planned on being there your whole life. You, you knew you were going to get your pension. You knew you were going to retire at 65. And like you say, that was your identity. I do remember... My best friend's dad, he got laid off from a company, again, that he had worked with his whole life, you know, pension on the horizon, got laid off at 59. I think that it really affected him because he died of a heart attack about six months later. And like you said, I think it was a piece of an identity had disappeared, right? That was just so much part of his life. You hear that all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people, I'm at the age now, I'm 61. So I'm at the age where I'm starting to see my contemporaries and peers retire. These are people who have done well for themselves career-wise and suddenly they've got nothing to do and I worry about them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to know what that next stage is going to be, right? And there's people who are very successful in that next stage, but you're right. They don't just sit around and get old, fat, and lazy. No. There have been so many studies saying that if you want to ward off getting old, if you want to ward off dementia, if you want to ward off cognitive decline, you got to keep your mind busy and your body busy going forward. The moment you stop, it happens slowly and then all at once. Yeah. Al, that was a great question. I didn't know you were going to ask that. What success look like to you? And you reminded me of something that we've done together and we've also done with some clients. And I'm wondering if Alan would be up for playing a bit of a game. And it's a fun one, Alan. Okay. What do you say? Go. Okay. I'll take it away. Is that the game of what if I gave you $10,000? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious right. to see some of the answers. Okay. So, Alan, here's the situation. I were to hand you uh, $10,000 right now. What would you do with it? Renovate my wife's bathroom. Okay. And why is that? It needs renovating. We've been in this house for about 20 years, and she needs a, a new bathroom. That's it. I want to do something nice for her, and I would use that money immediately for that. Fair enough. Great answer. Now I'm going to change the ground rules a little bit. Okay. You can't spend it on yourself or your family. Oh. What would you do with it? $10,000. I can't spend it on myself or my family. Actually, let me back that up a little bit. You can't spend it on your family. So you can't spend it on your wife. And I, I know you don't have children, but so you can't spend it on your wife. What would you do with it? Hmm. I might do something with a humane society. I mean, I'm a big dog person, and I hate hearing about how dogs and other pets suffer. I may do something there. Okay. And so again, I'm going to ask you the question, why? Why is that important? I'm a dog guy. We don't have kids. We've got two dogs right now. The, the puppy is our fifth English Bull Terrier since 1980. I believe the dogs are so good that humans don't deserve them. And I would like to be able to give something back to those dogs who aren't lucky enough to be living in my house. Okay. Fair enough. So then if I change the rules again, and said, you can't spend it on your family. You can't give it away to some, to a, again, like a charitable cause. Probably only about one thing left. Spend it on yourself. What would you do? Had to spend it on yourself now. 
I would put it aside as a down payment for my next car. Fair enough. So that's interesting, right? Because we get all different answers from all different people. But at the end of the day, there are only about three places you can put it, right? It's spend it on yourself, give it to someone in your family, let them spend it, or give it away to some charitable cause. Uh, the responsible thing would be to say, put it in a savings account, but I didn't think of that in time. <laughs> That's okay. That probably means that that wasn't as important as some of those other things, because you shared with us the most important thing, which was make your wife happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great exercise to go through because we worked really hard on defining our values or we call them our guiding principles. And when we're working with people, whether it's on the personal side or the corporate side, ideally we want to align on values. So it's a great exercise just to go through saying, what type of person is this? And I think Al and I would both agree, like we definitely align on values with you, which is why I think we're chatting here today because, you know, we enjoyed meeting each other for the first time. So that was fun. Thank you for doing that. Now, Al is known in our circles for having fantastic questions and he's got a signature question, which we're going to get to in a second, but I did have one other question. This one's a bit selfish and it's around podcasting. What are you working on these days? Because when we first met, you said you've got a podcast coming out. Is that out yet or is it slated to come out soon? I know you've got a few things going. Wow, I've got a bunch of things going all at the same time. There's a, okay, let me just see if I can go through all of them. The new podcast is called Uncharted, Crime and Mayhem in the Music Industry. The second episode is just out. It's a true crime and music podcast that has received some interest from maybe three production companies, TV production companies, to turn that into a TV show, which would be cool. Uh, I'm working on a documentary that will chronicle the uh, glory years of CFNY and the spirit of radio years between 1977 and 1992. That's well into the post-production phase, and that will be out next year, hopefully at the Hot Docs Festival and hopefully at the Toronto International Film Festival. There are a couple of other TV programs I'm working on. One is called The Hit, which I can't talk too much about, but it's got some really heavy hitters internationally. Hoping to sell this thing through. There's another program called Charted, not to be confused with Uncharted, which is a true crime podcast. I got a call about that next week. There's another online thing, and I think it's called Between the Lyrics. That's uh, in development as well. What else is there? My speaking engagements, my speaking tours, I do a lot of those. I've done about 70 or 75 of those. I've got a bunch of those coming up. And yeah, that's, I think, enough for now. Plus, advice, my ongoing history stuff, some consulting stuff that I do on the side, some writing stuff that I do on the side. So yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, to your point about keeping busy and not getting old, fat, old, fat and lazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not going to happen anytime soon. I don't think you need to worry about <laughs> Well, Alan, we always close out the episode on Al's signature question. And again, it's one of those questions that's just, we get a different answer every time. I always enjoy hearing what's important to people and what they're kind of doing for that legacy or for others down the road. So Al, with that, I'll let you take it away. Wonderful. Thank you. So here we go. The question is this, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? I hope that I have influenced some people in the world of broadcasting. There have been a lot of people who say that they got into radio and broadcasting because of me. It's only until they come up to me and tell me this that I realize that I've actually had some kind of important impact on somebody's life. I can't say that I've actually been an official mentor to anybody for any length of time, but I'm always available to anybody who wants advice, who wants to talk, who wants to get some information. 
before COVID came along, I never, ever, ever turned down a request to speak at any kind of school. Those have slowed down in the wake of COVID, but if they ever come up again, I'll, I'll do it. You know, colleges, universities, uh, high schools. I mean, I'll do that sort of thing. That's my giving back when it comes to charitable work. I do mostly work with students of all levels. Until somebody comes in and hands me an order of Canada, <laughs> I have no clue. So I'm hoping that I'm leading by example. And I'm hoping that many people who, for whatever reason, have been inspired by anything that I do have great success. However, I will tell you this. None of you had better try to take a run at my position because I have no intention of giving it up for a very long <laughs> time <it>. yet. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. I will share this with you. And I, again, I'm sure you already know a number of my friends that happen to mention, hey, you know, I met Callan Cross and they're growing up with me. They're going to university with me at the same time. They're listening to the same music and we've got the same musical taste. And, you know, they're quite eager to listen to this once we recorded it. So, yes, you've definitely had an impact on a number of people, but I'm, I'm sure you already knew that. Well, thanks very much. I hope it's a positive impact. I really do. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually say that, did I? But yeah. No, I, <laughs> you never know. I mean, uh, <laughs> Charles know. Manson had uh, impacts on people and not all of them good. Well, thanks again, Alan, for doing this. That does it for today's episode. As you can tell, Alan, I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, we hope you did too. If you have any questions for Alan or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. Mm -hmm.